For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Want to drop it in and put it in the commercial. Ah, welcome to Herd Tell. Okay, there's a lot going on in Congress. So we're going to go to the guy we always go to on congressional things. He is the chief congressional correspondent, Grand Poobah. I don't know what they call you, but you do great work for the independent, sir. Eric Garcia, back on the program. How are you, sir? Doing all right. How you doing, Andrew? Got his game face on, got his suit on, ready to go up to the hill and weed through the mess. Let me start right there, though. Everybody's focusing on the McCarthy stuff, and it's a total clown show, and it's a yes. mess. I've been doing this a while. My radar goes up when absolutely everybody is covering the same story all day for what is now going on day three of this. You're actually on the Hill, though. What's going on up there that we're missing? I know the House is completely shut down, but there's a lot of other stuff going on on the Capitol right now. What's folks missing that they don't see in the coverage that's gotten a little bit navel-gazing here? So what has basically gotten overlooked at this point is that uh, they cannot, I was talking about this with Ted Lou last night, because there are technically no members, they cannot look at intelligence briefings. Uh, Representative, Mike, uh, Representative Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin talked about this. They, since there are no members, they can't conduct anything. They can't actually work. Uh, because they're all technically members elect. So this actually is um, is is a, is a way. It, this means that there that you know there technically isn't a Congress. There aren't necessarily rules. What was funny is yesterday uh, my flatmate brought his dog to the hill uh, because you technically you can technically bring dogs. So there's really just um, there's really I, th I think. We could talk about the clown show about McCarthy, but more than that, it's just I think people are starting to get annoyed. Uh, they really just want to get to work. Uh, a lot of people want to uh, begin uh, getting to a lot of people just want to begin, you know, just just doing their jobs. And I think that I think that's the I think that's that's sort of what you're seeing right now. Yeah, Eric Garcia from the Independent Congressional Reporter. Um, I think there's some interesting things to glean. See, here, situations like this, I like to watch people's actions and see what's actually going on. I'm not interested yeah. in what they're saying at the podium. Yeah. You're seeing some real movement here on a couple levels, but let's start with the folks that aren't in chaos right now. Boy, does Hakeem Jeffries look like a million dollars right now because there was always, you know, y'all, it's always hard following the act of the legend, right? And good, yeah. bad, or indifferent, whether you like it or not. Nancy Pelosi had an iron grip on that caucus for a long time, two different yeah. senses speaker. There was questions. Is he going to be able to get along with the progressives, which he's got some real life heat with? Is he going to be able to get the moderates along? Can he talk to folks? 
boy, this guy looks like a million dollars right now, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Um, you know, you know, and I think one of the things that that people don't realize is that yes, he always kind of clashed with progressives. Uh, going back to 2016, and when he supported Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders, and he uh, and he's clashed with AOC and and a lot of the squad. But one of the things that he did, I think, that was really smart was that he is that he when he became Democratic Caucus chairman, he started cultivating those relationships immediately. And as soon as Joe Biden became president, and as soon as it became clear that this was going to be Pelosi's last run, he and Aguilar, Pete Aguilar, who's Democratic Caucus chairman, and Catherine Clark just said, we're a package deal. And they basically they basically made friendships wherever they could. You know, it was, what was interesting was that uh, <laughs> at one point, Jamal Bowman, reminder that Jeffries endorsed Elliot Engel in the primary in New York's 17th, I believe, uh, in 2020. But then Jamal Bowman at one point said he was talking to some black Republicans about endorsing the first black speaker uh, to get them reparations. And of course, that wasn't going to happen. But it, he, he looks like a million bucks. He had everything built for him and, he, had, and he, he really worked hard to build these relationships. And now he kind of, you know, and, and also to Pelosi's credit, she kind of smoothed out the carpet for him. And everybody except Jim Clyburn decided to step away from leadership. So this was basically a unanimous thing. And, you know, everybody's everybody's really happy with Hakeem. He looks great now, you know, because he because he's got the whole conference behind him. Yeah, Eric Garcia joined us. You slid by it there, but I think it's an important point to back up for for a second. Jim Clyburn stayed in the leadership. He's got a yes. little bit different role. But going forward for the Democratic caucus that is now going to be in the minority, especially with yeah. what's going on, it looks like with our GOP friends right now. Yeah, that's a big, big deal. In fact, a lot of them were asking him to do that. And I, there's various yeah. reports whether he wanted to or not. You just slid by. But this is an important thing going forward is that he is there and he, you know, it's not accidental. Hakeem Jeffries and him. You know, the older statesman with the arm around the new guy, that's not only imaging, that's important inside the party. That's purposeful. That is, that is absolutely purposeful. Uh, for a while, it looked like David Cicilline was going to challenge him, but then eventually he like he pulled back because uh, I don't think he wanted to be seen as uh, the guy who was challenging an older statesman from the South and, and, and civil rights, somebody who worked in civil rights. But yeah, this is absolutely something. And uh, Clyburn has really been a mentor to Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, you know, and to a lot of members of the CBC and the Congressional Black Caucus. But this is also, uh, let's be real, let's be adults here. This is also a favor to Joe Biden. Uh, you know, Jim Clyburn is mainly the, is the main reason why Joe Biden is president right now after he endorsed him in the beginning of the South Carolina primary. So this, so let's be adults here. Uh, this is absolutely a way for Jeffries to have a mentor, somebody who you can go to. Clyburn was a whip for a long time, so this is just a little extra padding. The interesting thing, though, is that, to the point about whipping, uh, last night when they were trying to adjourn, Democrats wanted to keep them there just to keep the, 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 the clown show going. Uh, but then what happened is uh, actually two members uh, were not present, so they actually had to. So they actually had to adjourn. So that's going to be one thing that they're going to have to do. They're going to they're, they're going to have to wh do a little bit better whipping. But so far, they're they're doing all right. So, but 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 yeah, this is absolute. That's absolutely. It's important for Jeff for Clyburn to be seen as being a mentor. Like the kids aren't completely taking over the show. Dad still has to give them the card keys. 
All right, let's talk about the unruly kids. Eric Garcia, congressional yeah. correspondent for The Independent. Let, let's zoom out for a second because we get into all the political stuff and the and yeah. the and all the machinations of it because we like it and it's your job to cover it and I comment on it. Here's the problem. Yes. The non-political populace, as much as they pay attention to this stuff, this just looks like chaos because it is chaos. There's yes. no way this looks good to somebody unless you've got a political stake in it and you're into the minutia of who's going to be speaker and who's not. Everybody else is just looking at it like, this is chaos and this looks bad. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's funny because Chip Roy has been making this point. Chip Roy of Texas, who's one of the, the 20 uh, Republicans who are voting against Kevin. Uh, he says, oh, well, uh, uh, you know, people in Des Moines, Iowa don't care if there's not a speaker, you know, but I, I would postulate that yeah, they may not care. Like in the day to day, it may not affect them day to day. Specifically, particularly because you know Democrats passed that uh, that omnibus last last year, late last month. But like you know, it does look kind of insulting to a lot of voters that they can't get their act together, that they don't even have a speaker. So maybe it doesn't affect their day to day, but it does reinforce the fact that they can't govern. And still, for better or for worse no matter how thin the majority is, a majority of Americans voted to nominate, vote, voted to give Republicans the majority, and they can't even get a speaker. So at this point, they're like, um, excuse me, we elected you to do your job, and you can't even get together and all that. So, so yeah, it does look embarrassing, uh, regardless of what, what Chip Roy says. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Now, Chip Roy, Eric Garcia joining us. Folks may not be super familiar with him. <laughs> I, I, My radar yes. goes up on, here's another thing that goes, when he started with, I'm just trying to do something in this godforsaken that Hold on a second, Chip. You were Ted Cruz's chief of staff. Yes. You're well ingrained. You know the, I know it's one of those little political things we just laugh yes. off, but it, it always, that puts my antenna up because I'm like, no, 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 you're in the game. Admit you're in the game. Yes. For folks that don't know Chip Roy, because he's probably one of the people who's, I hate to say star rising out of this cluster mess, but he does look a little better than some of the others. Like he's actually trying to do something here. Yeah. Tell people Chip Roy, because you knew him before, because he was over in the Senate with Roy. He yeah. was a first assistant uh, attorney general in Texas. He's in that Cruz, Perry, Paxton. He's ingrained. Yeah. Who is this guy for folks that aren't familiar with him? Yeah. So Chip Roy is really interesting as far as I, so he was, so he was assistant attorney general, but on top of that, the funny thing of it is that he is, is that he likes to, he talked about how much of a mess Washington, dude, you were born in Bethesda, Maryland, like literally just to skip and a hop over buddy. Um, that's the Maryland suburbs. Um, se second of all is that yes, he was chief of staff to Ted Cruz when Ted Cruz in 2013 
helped the Freedom Caucus, or I guess the early incarnations of the Freedom Caucus and the Tea Party Caucus, be, do a try to uh, successfully stage a government shutdown in an attempt to defund Obamacare. So the interesting thing about Chip is that he is is that he is kind of a hellraiser. He does have a record of doing this. He likes to, you know, regularly try to get a motion to adjourn, usually whenever things aren't going his way. He did that a lot when he was in the minority. Now he kind of has a little bit more. Uh, you know, he's had a few close calls in the past in his races because just the suburbs of his area are, are, are getting more conservative, are, are getting more democratic. But Texas redrew the map. But yeah, but yeah, no, he has a track record of liking to stir the pot a little bit and make things difficult for house republican leadership he did it with john boehner now he's doing it with now he's doing it with kevin mccarthy so yeah uh let's talk about some more congressional figures for a second meanwhile while this was all going on it actually got a little bit of press uh cocaine mitch your friend and mine everybody's favorite (laughs) majority leader now the minority leader uh he was out in kentucky with his old colleague president joe biden yes it was an amazing boy Look, sometimes if you're if I was a Democratic consultant, you couldn't pay enough money for this split screen. You have McConnell and Biden dedicating a bridge cross sectioned and the split screen is with the vote in the House of Representatives. Um, That campaign ad writes itself. Yes, yes, absolutely. It does. It shows that Biden, you know, a lot of people said that Joe Biden was being daft when he said that he could work with Mitch McConnell, he could work with, you know, Republicans. But this shows, hey, he works with Republicans. Rob Portman, the senator from, the former senator from Ohio, was in the audience with Sherrod Brown, you know, cats and dogs sitting together. It shows that Biden can get things done. He can work with Mitch McConnell. And it also just shows that it also draws a deep contrast because it shows that the the Senate isn't going to bail out McConnell, uh, going to bail out McCarthy, and if anything, when it when it comes time to govern, when it comes time to pass a budget, when it comes time to pass even a CR or raise the debt limit, Mitch McConnell isn't going to isn't going to is you know isn't going to walk through that door and save Kevin McCarthy. This looks really good for Joe Biden because. For all of the um, meshigas that happened during the two years of Democratic rule, they did eventually come together and they could eventually work with Republicans. Democrats are saying in the House, they're saying, look, we're not bailing Republicans out on this. So, that's, so yeah, it looks great for Joe Biden. Yeah. Um, here's the thing with this is, though, the normies like that stuff that us, the Internet commentators, really yeah. kind of recoil and make fun of. Yeah. That's that's how Joe Biden gets elected, being the normal guy against the chaos stuff. He was not Trump, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. This plays right into his hands if you're looking at a re-election campaign. It just does. I'm sorry, it does. It does, absolutely. It shows that, like, Joe Biden said, look, I'm going to govern like a normal Democrat. I'm not a socialist. Look, I'm here with I'm here with Mitch friggin' McConnell. Uh, and, and they've been friends know, for years. Let's all be grown-ups here. They've shared many a meals. Yeah. Yeah, they're 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 old friends. They've known each other. That's the Senate, uh, the 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 most exclusive three day work club. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, look, they don't they, they don't like to work on a weekend. Um, but you know, the, um, but but yeah, no, they're friends. They've known each other for a long time. But this does play into the hands of Joe Biden. That yeah, we we'll, we can get things done. 
the Republicans in the House can't get thing can't get things can't get things done. So. Yeah, Eric Garcia, join us. All right, let's deal with this mess in the House. Okay. I here's the thing: people roll their eyes at things like rules packages and negotiations and this sort of stuff. You've covered Congress for a while, though. That rules second only to who the speaker and the minority leaders are, and maybe the whips. That rules package is everything. Explain is. to folks who don't understand the rules package, and we and let's, we can go back a little bit. When the Democrats took over, they made some really significant rules package fixes, and that set them up for what has happened to get us to this point. Yes. For somebody that doesn't know, explain the rules package, why that's such a life-or-death thing for these politicos, and why we're fighting over it so much here. Okay, so I think the most important things, and this is just a development that just happened. Uh, the playbook just talked about Politico's playbook just talked about it. They're starting to one of the one of the big rules changes that a lot of conservatives want is they want to just have open debate on amendments for spending bills. That could actually lead to to an absolute chaos because basically what happens is that Republicans could is that Democrats could wind up picking off a few Republicans to add an amendment. You could have open debate there. Uh, you, you know, you can, you know, this is what everybody talks about when they talk about regular order. On top of that, there is also um, there. There are also plenty of desires to have things like to, to have more members, more of the, the conservative insurgents on the uh, on committees. But then there's also the big one. And this is the one that everybody it, it, and it sounds it, 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 I want to say, like, it sounds arcane because it's ridiculous. There's this thing called the motion to vacate the chair. And this is the big one. So for the longest time, what happened is in 2015, Mark Meadows, uh, future White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, he was a congressman from North Carolina, Western North Carolina. He and a lot of other insurgents did a motion to vacate the chair with John Boehner, uh, which is essentially, it allows basically one member to begin a no confidence vote on the speaker. That's basically what it is. And Boehner survived that vote, but afterward, and then Mark Meadows got on his knees and kind of begged Boehner for forgiveness. Then he did it again in 2015. And that was the beginning of the end of John Boehner. And then that was a big, that was a big point of controversy with Paul Ryan. Cause he obviously didn't want to do, uh, he, he didn't want to do that. Then when Pelosi took office, she raised the threshold for the motion to vacate the chair or when she took the speakership. Then what happened is now that McCarthy took over, he initially, you know, conservatives again, wanted that motion to vacate the chair then what happened is he said okay we'll lower it so that you only have to get um five members to do a motion to vacate the chair now it's he's just doing it down to one <laughs> why anybody would do that is my is any is my guess but the, but but basically that is the real aside from the committee assignments aside from the open process for debate on budgets that's the real uh thrust and the nut of this whole of, the, of this whole problem is that they is that these insurgents want to be able to have a have a motion to vacate be able to file a motion to vacate the chair Eric Garcia joining us explaining this so well that even I can understand it Here's the thing. We know McCarthy looks really weak here because he's given away the store to the point that he's not going to be able to function as a speaker. Yeah. Talk about why folks like us that kind of follow this are saying that, though. He's giving away so much stuff now. He's not going to even if he made speaker, which it doesn't look like he's going to get there now or whoever the next speaker is going to be now is even more weakened. 
because they're not going to be able to put together any kind of a package whatsoever to have any strength in the chair, which is what you got to have as a speaker, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the whole point of being able to be a speaker is to be able to lead Congress. You're not just the leader of your party. You're the Unlike the Senate, where the majority leader just leads the party, uh, you are the Speaker of the House, and your job is to lead the entire House of Representatives. And at this point, McCarthy has basically set himself up for failure because there is as soon as he begins to cut a deal as soon as so so first and foremost he won't be able to cut a deal with Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden because the moment that because they'll say look you can't say no to us because all you all we need all you need is four people to give you the middle finger in your conference and then your toast and, you know, at that point, you're going to have to go to the Democrats. You're going to have to go to Hakeem Jeffries. And, and, and let's be real. When you're a minority leader in the House, you don't have a lot of power. The only thing you can really do is bang pots and pans and, you know, block things. But but even then, you can't really – there aren't many mechanisms to block things like there are in the Senate. So this sets him up so that he's going to be – that he is toast the moment – Conservatives don't like something that he does. Even if, even Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's on his side, if she does, if he does something that she doesn't like, she can file a motion to petition to vacate the chair. He is setting himself up for failure. And then also, if you are a, uh, on top of that, you know, the, you know, we talk a lot about these twenty Republicans. The moderates probably aren't, to the extent that there are moderates in the, in the House, or I guess you could say governing Republicans, they're not going to be happy about this because they feel like McCarthy has given away the House and he's basically, you know, to these people who basically strapped a bomb to their chest. So it, it is, uh, so, so he is in an impossible position where he's not going to be able to please anybody. And even whoever comes into, his, into, that, into that role, they're going to have to comply with that rules unless they have to do a whole new rules package. Eric Garcia joining us. Here's the other thing about this. Um, I agree with everything you said. Other people are looking weak. I think one of the undercurrents that's going to come out of this, though, is, and this is a little bit more big picture, right now, the Matt Gateses and Lauren Boberts are feeling themselves. There's the infamous thing now where her and Hannity just clowned each other for 20 minutes back and forth now. Yeah. They're really feeling each other. I don't think they've realized that I think this has weakened them i know they're holding yes. this whole thing up right now but here's here's what's changed the party was placating them because they felt like they needed them yes. now it feels like once this is over and their passes look the the chip roy freedom caucus guys that's been going on since 2015 that's not a new problem that is the gates and the boberts and the internet famous people that's a newer problem yeah trump couldn't move the dial on this thing trump can't no. get them when this is over, I think you're going to see them get isolated, cut off, and kind of left out of everything going forward, even in the chaos of the Congress. They're going to make a lot of noise. But, yeah, this is their moment of power. 
I think this might be their apex because I don't think anybody's going to want to fool with them after that. Like you've even got like the New York Daily News going after them on the front page yeah. now. You've got the the party that was placating them because they felt like they needed the Trump. They're learning. Look, politics is learned behavior. They are learning. Hey, they're just going to do this. We don't need them. We can't work with them anyway. Let's cut them off. I think we're going to see a change with especially those two individuals and a couple others going forward. On top of that, let's also just talk about what we're talking about. The fact of the matter is is that Lauren Boebert had a near-death experience this last election where she narrowly lost her seat. What's typically when members almost lose, they typically say, hey, maybe I should move more to the center. Maybe I should be more, I should feel more. Lauren Boebert basically said, I'm going to keep doing more of what I'm doing. Um, and, that, and and that's it. But I think one of the other things that you're seeing is, as you, as you said, conservative media said, okay, fine, we'll let you have your little circus for a little bit. Now you're starting to see a lot of right-wing media. You're seeing on Fox News now. You're seeing a lot of conservative commentators. You're seeing Trump say, okay, the fun's over. We got to do. We, we got to do this. We got. We got to actually stop doing it and stop delaying this because we want to be able. A lot of people don't know why. Marjorie Taylor Greene is on Kevin McCarthy's side. The reason why, A, he's going to give her back her committees. Let's be adults. B, if you want to subpoena Hunter Biden and Merrick Garland and, uh, you know, Ali Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, you need to do this. So I think now everybody is kind of starting right-wing media, conservative media apparatuses, Trump world are kind of saying, okay, stop this. Cut this out. Let's go. Let's get to work. And this is and yeah, this could isolate them. And this could be something where McCarthy says, you know, ultimately, look, I can cut off three of you. You know, I don't necessarily need to give you everything you want. And on top of that, even if he winds up giving this, then he could he could immediately renege on it. Yeah, he'll be he'll, he'll get completely cleaved off and there'll be a motion to vacate the chair. But he doesn't have to leave. No, Eric Garcia joining us. All right, one last thing on this big mess. We we caught look, we talked about this back during the campaign. If that majority is less than 2025 20, seats, it's going to be total chaos. We're down to four seats, five, depending yes. on a couple how a couple of things. We've had a member of Congress die, they got to replace that, and yes. a couple other things going on. This looks like it's just going to be chaos for two straight years. Yes. Is there any other way to cover that? Look, let me just ask you bluntly. How do you cover? How do you? We talk about narratives, a bad thing, but you got to have narratives because you have to have guardrails. Yeah. What's the narratives that you and your compatriots, when you're standing around the halls, are talking like? How do we cover this Congress? Because this is going to be something we haven't really seen in a long, long time. Y'all talk amongst yourselves. Like, yeah, you've got to have had that conversation of how do we? Cover I literally this? was having this conversation on my way home with a friend of mine who I knew from my days when I was at roll call, and we were saying that like. You know, for, for those who don't know, a lot of congressional reporters, we cut our teeth at places like CQ Roll Call or National Journal, places that cover things like budgets and cover things like debt limit things and, and appropriations. I think our brains are not wired for something like this because we've been wired for so long to say, okay, there's a budget process. There's an appropriations process. There's a rules package. There's, you know, a debt limit thing. This stuff is supposed to happen because this is the basic, these are the baseline functions of government. We're not talking about passing major legislation. We're just talking about governing. And I don't think that we know how to cover this. I'm saying this because I don't know how to cover this. And I think it's going to be really a test for a lot of us in the Capitol Press Corps. How do we cover 
an effectively anti-government coalition. That's something I don't know how to do, and I'm going to have to try to figure it out on the job. Yeah. Eric Garcia, you're the best, buddy. Appreciate you. We'll let you go because you got to get up on the hill and knee deep into the swamp and figure this bad boy out. Have you back on a couple of days. Maybe we'll have some answers. Let folks know where they can follow you. I didn't get to promote your book like I normally do, but make sure you check out We're Not Broken. It's right behind him because he knows how to market. Look at that right there if you're watching on the YouTube. Let folks know where they can follow you and keep up with you, my friend. You can buy my book, We're Not Broken, Change the Autism Conversation. Out in paperback now. If you got a lot of good gift cards for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever, this is a, this is a great gift. It's only $14 uh, on top of of that you can follow me on twitter at eric m garcia you can follow my work at the independent you can read my columns at msnbc you can follow me on instagram at eric m garcia 14 always fun to be on here andrew yes sir we'll have you back on soon eric garcia thank you sir thank you Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Herd Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutan. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcast or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, I've been wanting to talk to this guy for a while. This is the great thing about my job. I actually got on Twitter and started a radio show and podcast just so I could get all my Twitter friends on and get them meet him in real life. This be one of them. He's part of the Raspy Voice Kids, the legendary West Virginia folks. I'm happy to introduce him to you. He also does a lot of culture kind of commentary, seasoned media professional, and although his professional life's actually going to come and play what we're talking about tonight, Brandon Phoenix, sir, great to see you. Thank you for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. I am too. Look, we all saw it Monday night. It was terrible. I was actually watching it with one of my children and my household. Everybody was, they're not even football people and they were just sitting there wrapped for hours watching the thing. This is kind of those of us that love football. Let's just be real. We do grown folk talk here. This is the worst nightmare of football fans for a long time. We've always been like, is, is this going to be the one? They haven't had anybody, you know, un, God forbid, pass away on the field since the 50s. It's always in the back of our mind, is this the paralyzed one? Is this the one that's going to be the ultimate one? Boy, it sure felt like that for a minute, and thankfully that didn't happen. What was your reaction as we watched it, though? Well, as soon as I saw it, as soon as I saw him fall, 
I knew the man was in trouble. There was no brace. There was no break. He was just out. And when you see something like that, it becomes really apparent that it's probably a cardiac event, not a concussion. There was no wooziness. It was just gone. He lost consciousness. And so I knew it was dangerous. And I knew it was serious almost immediately. It freaked me out, too. Yeah, and, and you've covered football for a long time. Look, I've seen paralysis on the field. I've seen broken limbs on the field. We've seen some really ugly injuries. We've seen the concussion stuff. We saw the horrible stuff with two earlier where the guy's clearly not right on the field. I've never seen anything like that. And what really hit me was the reaction to the players because, of course, they're not showing the medical stuff. When the players all walked away and turned away and the reaction we saw, I have never seen that in any sport at all. That's when it was like, oh, God, something's up here. Yeah, it was the same thing for me. A lot of these players have seen gruesome things. Like you said, you've seen displacement, um, fractures that are just insane, people's legs mangled and twisted, concussions where people are posturing and modeling. But this was different. Like you said, they immediately knew something was up that was out of the ordinary, that was in a dangerous, dangerous situation. And the players' emotions got the best of them. They they had visceral reactions. And then, of course, that came through on the broadcast, and the rest of us had the same thing. It, It was a very scary moment. Now, one of our things on our program is things don't happen in a vacuum. They happen in sequence. This is one of those freak things. He got hit in the chest. His heart stopped. It's a one in a million thing that happened. But we got to put it in the context of everything else we've seen. We just mentioned it. The Tua stuff this year was a bad look. We've seen in some of these bowl games now in football some really questionable targeting headshot kind of plays in the bowl games that have gotten a lot of play. Have we just not figured out – there's a lot of safety stuff the NFL's doing, the college game's doing. We're all aware of it. Have we still not figured out how to talk about this in a productive way? I don't know about talking about it because I don't know how you, I don't know how you talk about it any other way than what we're doing now. It's been approached by almost every angle possible. You know, I've watched politicians talk about it. I've watched former athletes talk about it. I've seen journalists talk about it. I think there's been – every angle possible has been covered. I really don't know that there is – a more productive way to talk about it than what we're doing right now. Like you mentioned the safety aspect, you know, talking about what the NFL can do or what they've done. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is I spoke to a person today, uh, an ex-football player who made the comment that, you know, people call football a contact sport. He said, no, dancing is a contact sport. Football is a violent sport. And the sooner we come to terms with that fact, and the the sooner we're honest about that fact, uh, the, the sooner we'll be able to have, even a more expansive conversation about what's happening in the game. Yeah, Brandon Phoenix joining this Raspy Kid Voice podcast. Let's have that grown folk talk, though. The NFL isn't really a sport anymore. It's a cultural phenomenon. It's the biggest TV show on three networks. It, with the fantasy football and now with legalized gambling going wild, the demographics are changing. It's almost you know, 50-50 male-female viewership. This game is a cultural thing beyond any other sport that we have. It's just fact. That changes how we talk about it because when it's a cultural institution, now we're dealing with stuff like, do we have a responsibility to the players? Because the players will do whatever we ask them to do. They're getting that money. They'll put their lives on the line. They'll put their bodies on the line. When do we step in and tell a grown man that he needs to be pulled back? This is some deep human stuff, and it cuts through a lot of the cultural stuff. I think that's why it gets so raw with the NFL stuff. It's such a cultural phenomenon. It starts to get into other areas of our lives, doesn't it? It really does. on top of it getting into other areas of our lives, we've all either played or know somebody who played or we know people who play now. We talk about whether we allow our children to play. I saw a cardiologist from Texas saying that they start their kids at seven years old in full pads and she will never let any of her four children play. Um, But 
we see these conversations, we see the, we have these conversations and we think about it as top of mind, 24, seven, 365, the NFL has worked really hard. One of the things they've done really well is making, making it so there's hardly any, if any off season from free agencies to the draft, to the actual playing of the games, they've made it so like you said, it's a cultural phenomenon that, that is a part of every day of every American's life and beyond. Um, so I just, it's just such a powerful thing. I, I heard somebody say too, there was another person that was talking about this and they were complaining that we don't talk about other social ills more than we're talking about Mr. Hamlin, you know, and what he experienced. And like I said, you know, as, as true as it is, he, he talked it up to a class thing, you know, or, or worshiping celebrity, worshiping fame and money. And I said, I think it's different. We watch these events live on television every week and you never see this. The average person does not see somebody getting CPR performed on them or see somebody they know or love having CPR performed on them ever in their entire life. But to have it on display on Monday Night Football for, you know, millions upon millions of people watching, thousands of people in the stands, hundreds of people on the sidelines, that's a different kind of spectacle and it's a different kind of emotion. And uh, I totally get why we are where we are with this. Is it a fair criticism, Brandon Phoenix joining us? The announcers did a good job bringing it up. One of the things that made this so jarring is this seems like a young man who really has his head on straight, came from a really tough family situation, stayed home for school, was a Pittsburgh kid, was widely recruited. No, I want to stay in Pittsburgh. I want to stay local. Did all that. It seems like a great kid, right? He seems like he's done all the right things. And that's the story that you want to tell about somebody like this. But this is the only way that story got told. And there's so many players in the NFL. That's the dream, right? You rise up from whatever your circumstances of. You get that bag. You get that money. You get that million-dollar contract. You get that fame. But there's a price to pay for it. But here's the thing about it, Brandon. Let's just be real for a second. I was active duty military. I knew what I was signing up for. You know, nobody made me do that, and I pay for it health-wise to this day. We don't. We know our cops and our firefighters. We know our, you know, medical workers. You can pick any construction workers end up crippled. Every, worker, every walk of life has some kind of risk to it. We tend to apply it differently when we talk about our athletes, though. Yeah, that's a fair point. We do apply it differently. And I think part of what's happening is you're dealing with young men who feel like they're invincible. I remember my dad telling me the story about this guy he worked with who signed up to be in the military, who went to Vietnam, who said he was so excited to get over there and start shooting people that when he and his buddy got on the ground and they're out there shooting, it wasn't until he looked to his side and realized his buddy wasn't with him anymore that the, that the opposition was shooting back. And I think it happens in the military. I think it happens with athletes where you think that you're invincible, where you think you're invincible because of the testosterone, because of the youth, because of the myopic viewpoint you might have of life. Uh, and then we, we adopt that because not only do we watch these guys who look like superhumans, but we also haven't seen any of them go down in this fashion. And because we've watched for so long, you start to think that the game is safer than what it actually is. And the truth be told, this could happen at any time to anyone. And it did in this case. Um, so, I, again, I understand it. Like you said, his story, DeMar Hamlin's story doesn't get told because he's not a superstar. You know, he's a, he's a lunch pail guy. He's bring his hard hat to work kind of guy. He's a give back to the community kind of guy. But he's not the kind of guy. He's not an Aaron Rodgers. He's not a Patrick Mahomes. He's not a household name. So we're not hearing about his story until something tragic happens. And that's, that's a shame in and of itself.
Brandon Phoenix joining us. Let's talk about that medical response for a second because perversely enough, he had this happen in almost the perfect spot. He's two miles from a major trauma center. They have elite level doctors literally steps away. They were on this immediately, probably saved his life. Not everybody gets that. You were talking about this on Twitter and you actually have a background on this. We were talking about it earlier on social media. CPR and AEDs. These are two things that the average person, they don't need to know anything about medicine or anything. They just need a little bit of preparation and it really does save lives. Even an elite level athlete with those, all those doctors and all that technology, it was the basics, AED and CPR that probably made the difference here. 100%. We always say seconds count and they really do, especially with cardiac events like this. When your heart stops beating, that means there's no blood going to your vital organs and the most vital organ, the brain. It's the command center. If there's no, if there's no blood, if there's no oxygen, you die quickly. And even if you don't die, like from a medical standpoint, you can have anoxic brain injury where you're, the damage is done and you don't get to come back. So like you said, as, as terrible as it is that he's in this position because of what he was doing, being in this position probably saved his life. Like you said, if he has this kind of accident from, or if he has this kind of injury because of a car accident or something that happened at home, he probably doesn't have doctors right there. He probably doesn't have access to a hospital right away. And seconds count. So the sooner you get the sooner you get the AED, the better. I like what you mentioned about the importance of having C, uh, knowing CPR. They're teaching people now to do hands only CPR where there's no breaths involved because people are so um, people are so afraid of putting their mouth on somebody that they don't know, myself included. I don't blame anyone that we just teach people just use your hands only, do the compressions, get that heart pumping, and as soon as the AED gets there, use it. And not even being familiar with an AED, they make them now so that they talk to you. Those those automatic um, external defibrillation devices talk to you. They walk you through the process so you don't have to be afraid of using them. And if you get a little bit of knowledge, it makes it even more easy because when they're talking to you, it's not the first time you're going through it. It's more of reassurance, more of uh, just following what you already know. And the more people we have that are prepared to be able to help somebody, the better. They're in malls, they're in churches, they're they're everywhere now in public spaces. And fortunately, they had one there in Cincinnati for DeMar Hamlin. Yeah, Brandon Phoenix joining us. That's the good part of this reaction is people get awareness of that sort of thing. His charity, uh, Hamlin's charity, went through the roof on donations. That's a great thing. I saw a lot of good on social media last night and today. I saw a little bit of bad, though. I... I think this is a good opportunity. Look, I do a little bit of a timeline cleans on my social media when I have events like this. The people that just want to instigate, the cynical folks, the folks that just want to make an ugly point so they can turn around and apologize the next day. I think these are moments where we learn what people in our media, especially, especially the commentators and the talking heads, and the, I think they tell us stuff about themselves in times like this, and we should mark it and learn from it and start kind of weaning those folks out. You've done media commentary for a while. You study media. I saw a lot of good, but I saw some real cynical, ugly stuff, too. And I think some of that just we just as a people just need to just like, no, that's over the line for this situation. Yeah. So what I noticed immediately is I made a post and somebody immediately came under my post, made a comment to the tweet I made indicating some kind of conspiracy theory without saying it fully. And like you said, people tell you who they are. And the truth is. When people tell you who they are, I believe them. <laughs> don't leave it up. I don't. I don't. I don't try to analyze. I don't try to make excuses. I just listen to what they said. What you say is is what you are. Almost nine times out of ten, in my estimation. Um, and I agree, man. Like I don't have time for people 
who want to make political points, who want to make um, themselves more important in the moment than the, than the person that's really experiencing the circumstance. I don't have time for any of that stuff. And so I don't put any time or energy into it. I really haven't given it much thought besides ignoring what was presented to me. Yeah, Brandon Phoenix. All right, one of those things that needs to be talked about, and there's a debate whether folks want to talk about it or not, but I think we should talk about it. What they did during the game. Now, I'm going to give a little grace for just the logistics of putting on something like an NFL game are immense. People that have never been to one or been behind the scenes of an event like that, it's a lot of logistics. If, if you decided in a moment to shut that thing down, it would take you 20 minutes just to make all the phone calls. So I'll give a little bit of grace on that. What do you think the league does with some situation like this? Because they're going to have to address it. Obviously, safety is a huge issue with the NFL. They're spending millions and millions of dollars on it. They're doing ad campaigns about it. Where do you think they go forward with this? Not just the game, but the push for safety. Look, it's a violent sport. You're only going to make it so safe because these guys are getting bigger and strong. If you've never been on the sideline of an NFL or high-level college game, you just do not – TV does not do justice how fast this game is. You've been on the sidelines. You know what I'm saying. You can speak on it. Where do they go with the messaging to the safety stuff? We know they can't get it completely safe, but they're going to have to address this somehow, right? Yeah, because the problem isn't so much at the highest level because these men are millionaires and they're willing to put their bodies on the line. So the problem's not the highest level. The problem is the youth level. When when mom sees a man, when a mother sees a young man collapse during an NFL game and sees his mother and his family members in the kind of frightened state they were, she's immediately thinking, am I letting my babies do this? And more and more you're hearing people say, no, they're not going to. So that's where you're going to have your first issue is the youth leagues. So the NFL has to somehow get the message out. For one, it's not important to get these kids in pads playing tackle football at such a young age. That's not that's not necessary. Over and over again, you see uh, former NFL players who say they're not letting their kids play anything but flag football or seven on seven uh, until they're older because it's not necessary for their development. And also it's dangerous for concussions and, and other things. The sooner they get that message out, the better. The sooner they get the message out that they're doing everything that they can and they're actually showing that they're doing everything that they, everything that they can, the sooner we'll believe them. And the sooner that they stop doing things like saying, we're going to go back in five minutes, you have a five-minute break and then you're going to return to the game. The sooner they stop that, the quicker we will be to believe them that they actually care about more than just the bottom line in their product and about the individuals who are making all of this happen. Troy Vincent saying the five-minute thing, he doesn't know where that came from. It's real suspicious because they said it multiple times. They announced it from the PA. It, it, I don't believe them. I don't believe Roger Goodell. I believe that they care about the bottom line more than they care about the individuals because it's such a big machine. And like you said, you were talking about logistics. I think about the contract. I don't know what the deals are with advertisers. I don't know how that works when you cancel a game like that. I don't know how it works with uh, with Vegas you know, and gambling. I don't know how all that stuff works. But somebody's got to figure it out. There's got to be contingency plans. If not, this should be going forward. And they make enough money that they can pay enough people to get this figured out and ironed out so they can get their messaging and their actions in line.
Yeah, Brandon Phoenix joining us. I think you make an excellent point here. Obviously, the health of Hamlin's number one. As we're recording this, he's still in critical condition, and our prayers are with him, obviously. Long term, as far as the game goes, I think what's going to come out of last night is we finally found the limit. We've talked about those players. They're just ingrained to you push through, you play hurt, whatever. We know where the line is now because we saw it for the first time, at least in my lifetime, on a football field where the players and the coaches said, nope, we're done. We're not playing. The coaches obviously were leading that up. The players were leading that out. They're like, no, we're not playing. That's the first time we've ever seen that. This is a collectively bargained league. This is a league with a very, very strong labor force in it. You better believe that's going to come up in collective bargaining. I think that's going to be probably long-term the most, other than this kid's health, and we hope he recovers fully. I think business-wise, something really important happened last night because we finally saw the line. The public was with the players. The players saw it. Here and no further, we're not playing football. That's a big, big deal long-term, I think. You hit the nail on the head. That's a fact. That that We saw the line. The line was drawn. It was a hard stance that those players took. It was a courageous stance that those players and the coaches. It was the right call, too, by the way. It was 100% the right call. There's no way you play. It's disrespectful to DeMar Hamlin. It's disrespectful to his family. And it's disrespectful to those players who witnessed trauma. I saw a tweet today that said, you know, you watch them stop the game, but healthcare workers do CPR on people all the time and go right back to work. What I'll say, though, is as traumatic as it is, because I work in the profession, I'm a respiratory therapist, and I've done CPR I can't even count how many times. It's not the same as watching somebody you know and love being worked on. That's a different level of trauma. And to expect players to go out there and compete in a game after watching someone they know and love be worked on to have his life saved, that's just, it's, there's no possible way any reasonable person, any compassionate person would have asked them to do that. Um, and so, like you said, it was the right call. It was the courageous call. And it's a call that will make a difference for years to come. Yeah, I think we saw a player empowerment moment last night that's going to really, really matter. Brandon Phoenix joining us. One last thing on this, and I don't want to harp on it, but I just think it's really important to bring up. We talked about how big this league is, how important it is, the money. You just mentioned Vegas. The gambling is a huge part of the NFL now. There's just no debating it. That's what set it apart from everything else. Let's just be adults here. This has to be a moment where we start putting – especially kind of my beef with fantasy football over the years. And I was one of those early guys way back in the Yahoo board days, way, way back, right? I don't play fantasy football anymore because it was dehumanizing it for me. I'll just be real. And I'm not the only one doing that. I know lots of people do it. God bless. This has to be a moment where if we do nothing else, we have to humanize it. Yeah, yeah, some of them are millionaires, but a lot of them are lunch pail guys making, you know, they're going to make decent money for five or six years and that's it. And that's all they got. And then they got to do plan B, right? We have to find a way to humanize these players, even though they're superstars on our screen. I think that's an important thing that we all need to individually do and something the league's got to work on and something the players need to talk about. is like, no, we're people working a job. We're not cogs in a machine anymore. Yeah, I mean, that starts at home, in my opinion. You know, it starts with the way I raise my children, that these men are not commodities. They're individuals. They're human beings. Um, it starts at home when I teach my son, my daughter, those things, and they go out to the world and they they – uh, perpetuate that um, because I think about my, how I've evolved on the uh, on the issue of concussions. I remember being a kid. They say somebody had a concussion. He was out next week, and I would think, "What's wrong with his arms and his legs?" You know, 
And then it, it took years for me to understand. And it hasn't been until probably the last 10 years where I've understood how serious concussions are and to look at these people as people in a way that I didn't growing up. And I didn't have the connection that I have now because of what I do um, to understand that. And, it, you know, the more people like you and I talk about it in the way that we're talking about it, the better chance you'll have at it. I don't think fantasy football is going anywhere. I don't think you think that either. I don't. I know gambling is not going anywhere. Um, but the conversations can change. And they can change yeah. people. Yeah, and it's going to be more important to have those conversations the bigger and bigger this beast gets to keep the humanity in it. Brandon Phoenix, Raspy Kids Voice Podcast. He also does some speaking. He's on YouTube. Does a lot of different stuff. Really appreciate your time on this. Let folks know where they can follow you. We're definitely going to have you back, my friend. Been wanting to have you on anyway. Now we got the excuse. Now we can get you in the rotation, right, as Hugs would say. Um, let folks know where they can follow you until we see you again on Hertel, where they can follow you, social media, what you got going on with the podcast, and where they can find you. So we we are the Raspy Voice Kids, and you can find us at Raspy Voice Kids on everything, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, Raspy Voice Kids Podcast. It's raspyvoicekids at gmail.com if you want to get at us. Send us questions, uh, ask us questions, whatever it may be. I personally am at I also hate Pitt. Now, I that's on hiatus for now because of DeMar Hamlin. Of course, it's love and prayers to the Pitt family and to DeMar Hamlin and his family. But I am at I also hate Pitt. That's what people call me. Uh, I also hate Pitt at gmail.com if you want to get at me. And I also hate Pitt on Instagram as well. So anywhere you find those, those that name and those handles, you can get a hold of me. You can get a hold of my brother, who's at JN Fiend, J N P H E E N Fiend for Phoenix. Nothing else. And uh, we do a show typically every week. We talk about sports, but we also talk about pop culture. I say pop culture, and you guys can get on in on that whenever you want. Yeah, it, it's amazing, too. And the reason, even though we do politics and culture, we have to hit sports sometimes, man, because especially something like the NFL, it crosses all those streams, the culture, the politics, economic debates, all of that. You can find it in something like the NFL and greater sports, especially with college, what's going on with that right now. Uh, it's a great podcast. They do it in a really unique, informative way. I listen to it, too. Check it out. Brandon Phoenix, thank you so much for the time, sir. Looking forward to doing it again. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Anytime. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty. That means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, 
head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics, from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find the Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. <laughs>